The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. Back to throw it for the first time. Going over the middle has McLaurin racing in for the end zone and a score. <laughs> this NFL stuff is easy. That was Sam Howell's very first throw of his NFL career, and it was a touchdown pass to Terry McLaurin, 16 yards out. Early in the first quarter, Washington absolutely destroyed Dallas 26-6 to uh, in the season finale to finish the season Cooley 8-8-1. Eight, eight, Somebody had that at the beginning of the year. Uh, I want to real quickly read some uh, reviews from Corey. By far the best DC sports podcast. When Cooley comes on, it's absolute gold. Keep up the great work day in and day out. Uh, also from Supreme Hoss. I'm 27, haven't lived in the DMV in 18 years. I'm confused why I'm still so loyal to this team. Kevin, and especially Kevin with Cooley, are the go-to for information and opinions on this misery. Hail. Uh, thank you, Supreme Hoss and Corey. Uh, all of you can rate us and review us, especially on Apple and Spotify if you get a chance. Five stars and a quick one- to two-sentence review uh, is great. Uh, and, yes, Tommy will be on with me tomorrow. Cooley is here with me today, and he watched the game, and he's so excited about Sam Howell's performance. I just want to start there real quickly because I don't want to bury the lead. What did you think of Sam Howell in his very first game? He he did a good job. He was good. I I think it I, it was about exactly what I thought it would be as far as what they would do on offense. It's, it's incredibly basic as far as Sam Howe went in terms of throwing the ball. Go to the first touchdown pass. The the West Coast terminology for that play is a, is basic cross. <laughs> like yeah, shallow cross, and you got a ten yard to twelve yard dig behind it, and you're trying to clear out the front side of the corner, and it's a basic cross. Or as they would have probably called it, seven twenty-four. What do you, you think? That's but what they called it. I think they're a number system, and that you'd start with the open side, which is a tight end. You ran a corner out. That'd be a seven. That no, oh, the cross is a zero, so it'd be seven oh four x post or 
however you want to tag the outside guy. That's that's what I would bet. Somewhere around there. That's how Al Saunders. All right. With with the basicness of the offensive approach and perhaps play calling, how did he play? Thought he played well, Kev. I'm honestly, you take away one pick that he would like back, and we can talk about that. But for the most part, I thought he was pretty consistent. I thought accuracy was good, other than maybe one screen throw and a deep ball to Terry McLaurin that was underthrown a little bit that ended up being a pass interference call anyways, and, and that might have been the intent of what he was trying to do on that throw. But he threw two more deep balls down the right side later in the game, and one to Dotson that was dropped. That was a really good ball, and another one to Terry that was an, it was an excellent ball. So I thought, although he didn't make a ton of throws vertically down the field, he made three or four that were essentially pretty good throws. The crossing route stuff that he hit, he hit guys on the move. He hit guys in stride. Uh, had a drop from Terry on a third and four crossing route that would have been a conversion. He looked really good athletically. The kid can get out and run. You saw that with the zone read for a touchdown where he's making good cuts, fearless cuts. Yeah, real fearless. Uh, a, couple good, a couple good third and four scrambles where he ends up converting and yeah, and the other thing is, shoot, I thought, you know, larger part, he ran the offense fair, with with good tempo. Uh, he looked comfortable in the pocket. He looked like he belonged there, uh, and the moment wasn't too big. And I thought he played well. He was he was also in a really good situation the entire game where they could stay balanced with the run. Dallas was horrendous. They treated it as preseason game three and played it 70%, and you can see what that gets you in the league. But as far as Sam Hell goes, the moment was huge for him. I mean, he definitely felt nervous. He definitely felt pressure, and I think he performed in a moment where he felt pressure. I would have liked to see him throw the ball more than yep. what was he eleven and nineteen, yep. something like that. Yep. I, I, especially as you got into the second half with the lead, like clearly the rivalry of of Washington Dallas is is not the same. It's not just beat Dallas. Uh, you don't need to play that game to just beat Dallas. Uh, it was evident throughout that Dallas didn't care if they won or lost the game, even though they kept their starters in. It didn't seem like it mattered to them. Well, it did, it but it have. did though. It did matter. They they were playing for something. They they were playing for the division. If the Giants somehow pulled off a win over Philadelphia, that's why they were playing it their starters. Like 16, it was sixteen zero in the first quarter of the Philly Giants it, game, and the Giants weren't playing their starters. There was no way. Although what was amazing is when Dallas finally did pull their starters. <laughs> exactly, the that, Giants that, made Dallas, a run. Like simultaneously, the Giants went twenty two to fifteen or twenty two to. No, did he make the kick or miss the kick? Uh, no, it was but twenty-two to sixteen. Right they, had an, one, they had an onside yeah, they, kick they, to get the ball back with I a know, chance it to win. It was, it was, it was, and the Eagles did a great job of fielding that kick. But it, it, whatever you want to say, they did have something to play for. But I think that entire team said, "Eh." The, the energy wasn't there on the Dallas side of the ball. There was complacency. The energy wasn't there. I, I don't want to take anything away from Sam Howell, and I don't think you need to in this situation. But they, it wasn't there. Dallas was – they made bad mistake after bad mistake. That said, although, even, in a, even in a game where it would matter, is your punter just going to drop a snap? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I, 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 mean, I don't think the punter is trying to drop snaps ever. I think 
that that was a big part of the result of the game. Um, I, I do agree with you, and it's going to be one of my criticisms when we get to our game take, which we'll do in kind of a shared format like we've done before um, in the past. But I wanted to start with Sam Howell because I thought I thought three big picture things. Number one, I don't understand why there was so much concern about playing him. Uh, I don't know if this was a guy. Um, Logan Paulson said oh, oh, last week when Ron was waffling on the decision, he had said beforehand that it was it was made clear to him that Sam Howell was not ready to play in an NFL game, no matter how meaningless it was for the team. To me, it was a no-brainer. You don't have QB1 for the future on your roster with the two guys that we watched. Wentz is going to be on, and Taylor Heineke is not your your starting quarterback long-term. And so there was only one guy that we hadn't seen. Now, I did suggest, and I didn't suggest this to you, but I, I brought your name up last week, that if this is one of those situations where you're not going to be able to evaluate other players, you're not going to be able to function by getting the plays and communicating the plays and getting the snaps off before you know the play clock gets to zero zero zero. Okay. And that's kind of what Logan had hinted at, which is why his initial guess was Sam Howell would not play. It wasn't his evaluation, by the way, by the way, I want to make that clear. It was what he was hearing. And look, the actions of Ron initially saying that Taylor was going to start the game and then changing his mind would indicate that they weren't totally convinced that he was ready to play in an NFL game. So my first takeaway is how silly was that? You know, it's a meaningless game. We see, you know, a backup and third string quarterbacks all the time in week 18, week 17, when it was a 16 game schedule, play for teams that have nothing to play for. And Sam Howell clearly proved in one game, and I think this is really the only thing he proved because it was only one game, and that is it wasn't too big of an occasion for him. The, the, whatever concern there was from whomever the concern came from in the organization, it was silly. Number two was this. You kind of combined in, in Sam Howell, at least from a talent standpoint, the physical abilities that Taylor Heineke doesn't have with kind of the ballerness, the gamerness that Heineke has. I loved how quick and decisive he was as a runner, and you saw that at North Carolina. And then thirdly, my big takeaway from Sam Howell is this. Man did one game, one game, it will be a massive part of the offseason discussion when it comes to the starting quarterback position for 2023. Sam Howell's name will be. Sam Howell will be. This franchise has been starving for anything resembling a starting quarterback, whether the person looks like one for one game or one quarter. And this one game yesterday for many was enough to say, Sam Howell, you are definitely in the mix, and you might even be our guy 
for the 2023 opener. So thank you, Sam Howell, for not completely shitting the bed so that we you know, couldn't consider you. It's perfect for off-season discussion of the quarterback and what they do with the quarterback because even though one game for me is not enough to evaluate whether or not he could be a legitimate QB1, uh, that, won't ma- that won't make any difference in terms of the conversation. Sam Howell is now front and center in that conversation. And my guess right now on January 9th, and obviously we have the ownership situation and how much Ron Rivera will be able to do and whether or not he'll be here to do it, all of that in play. Uh, But if we looked at it as a normal football situation, I would guess that Sam Howell and a, a quarterback that's currently not on the roster, whether that is a draft choice, whether that is Derek Carr, whether that is Aaron Rodgers, that those will be the two quarterbacks in camp, and then they'll have obviously a third quarterback from somewhere. But that is my guess today as to the two quarterbacks that will be on the roster. How, and I don't think Rodgers will end up here with that contract. I think Derek Carr's probably too expensive. Um, but maybe a Hal and a Garoppolo kind of a situation, or Hal and a draft choice situation, and that will be. Um, that will be the competition when we get to August. That would be my guess. But Sam Howell did not look overmatched. It was silly that they were concerned about it. If they were, I know some in the organization were. And thank you, Sam, because you gave us a great sort of off-ramp into the off-season um, with you know some optimism about what the st- starting quarterback could be uh, in 2023, when there was no optimism after last week. Before I, a couple things with Sam Howell right before that. You know what would be a fun day for us to do is to go through the last 15 years and talk about all of the potential quarterbacks that we talked about over the last 15 years that could have been a part of Washington's offense. I mean, how many times, how many years? It's just year after year after year after year. Like, who's available? Who's the best backup out there? Remember A.J. McCarron? Man, he could have been something from Washington at some point. I mean, remember Andy Dalton? Gosh, he was going to be just a list of guys. that, And we do it's done every year with Washington. Like, oh, and now it's Derek Carr and Jimmy Garoppolo. And maybe it was Jimmy Garoppolo last year. Matt Stafford. Like, it's endless. Maybe it's Baker Mayfield next year. You know, what, what, the list is a hundred names long from the last fifteen years. How about this? How about how about this long. name? This was my one of my all time favorites. You got to go get Mike Lennon. You have to get Mike Lennon. Have Mike you seen Lennon. how big he is? He's six seven and oh, by the way, he's from Northern he's Virginia. From he's a local kid. You got to go get Mike Glennon. Has he ever started a game and played well in one? I don't think so. Uh, oh no, you're, no, I don't think he. Ha- maybe. <laughs> yeah, it's look. This franchise had one. You know, six years ago, it had a starting quarterback, and it had one there for a few years. And uh, you know, it's it's they. It was their one chance with Cousins to get it right, but. Whatever we've been down that path many times before, but you're right. I mean, it we it would be a long conversation. I, I, I mentioned this the other day. I mean, Sam Howell was the eighth quarterback, the eighth to start a game 
since Ron Rivera got here in 2020. In three seasons, they've started eight quarterbacks, if you count Garrett Gilbert, who started that game during the COVID uh, situation last year. Um, And then I think it is now 35 different quarterbacks with Sam Howell have started a game for Washington since Mark Rippon was the start-to-finish 1991 Super Bowl champion MVP quarterback for this team. So in 31 years, 35 quarterbacks. Cleveland's more, right? Cleveland's got to be more. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure Cleveland's close, yes. You know, I mean, but even the bad franchises like Detroit and even the Raiders have had runs of good starting quarterbacks. I mean, Detroit had Stafford. The Raiders had Gannon there for a while. They had Derek Carr for several years. You know, so um, not that, you know, any of those players were elite superstars, but they were, you know, they were the long-term answers. Washington hasn't had, except for Cousins, during the Snyder era, a long-term answer quarterback. Now, we thought we thought RG3 would be, and he had one of the tremendous rookie seasons in the history of the league. But, you know, the, the, the truth was they've had one. Not, nobody else. I mean, nobody else. Alex Smith wasn't. Because even if Alex Smith doesn't get hurt, he was at the end of his career kind of anyway. Jason Campbell wasn't. Uh, Mark Brunel wasn't. Uh, Rex Grossman wasn't. McNabb wasn't. Uh, Kyle Allen wasn't. Wentz wasn't. Um, who am I? Keenum wasn't. Beck wasn't. Haskins wasn't. I mean, I, I'm sure I'm fitting. I mean, Fitzpatrick obviously wasn't. I mean, it's just, it's, uh, look, I mean, there are lots of reasons, and it starts at the top as to why they've won just two playoff games during the Snyder era, and really the first one he shouldn't be given credit for because he didn't take over ownership of the team until the summer of 99. So essentially, his ownership tenure has has produced one playoff win. You you played in that, that game at Tampa, one. They, it's been 17 years since they've won a playoff game. Um, the quarterback and the, the lack of a quarterback's obviously had a lot to do with that. But, you know, the owner fucked up many times on the quarterback front as well. It's unbelievable that it's been 17 years since that game. It's 17 years. freaking believable. 17 years almost uh, to the day, Cooley. Almost to the day. Almost to the day. Yep. That ta- so that the Tampa Sam Howell thing. Yeah. Putting out there that he's not ready is at best hedging a bet that if he wasn't ready, we could say, hey, we knew he wasn't ready. That's why we looked like trash. And maybe it's an offensive coordinator, or maybe it's someone on the or maybe it's a head coach, and just just say he wasn't ready. But your initial theory of you've got to prepare and you want to evaluate everybody in – I don't care at all about anybody else on the roster that – could be evaluated. We've evaluated everybody else on the roster. Everybody else has got a chance to play it. The only reason I wouldn't play Sam Howell in that game is if he truly wasn't ready. I really knew he wasn't ready, and that's only to protect Sam Howell. Right. You would protect the career of Sam Howell by not letting him go out there and just be absolutely abysmal. There's no way, based on the way he played, that anybody could have said he's absolutely not ready. could have definitively said this kid can't go out there and play. I do understand the some some guys are different in terms of being in a game and being in practice. And there's 
coaching staffs that don't necessarily understand the learning mechanisms of all of their players, and maybe Sam Howe learns different than they would expect him to learn, or he comprehends different, but whatever happened, he got himself ready to play a game. And the other thing, really, is until you do really give that quarterback the load and treat him like the guy, it's hard to say that they are actually ready. Um, but I would not have worried about anybody else on the field besides just Sam Howell. If you actually thought that they, he could be in the running for quarterback, and Kevin, honestly, he's got to be in the running for the quarterback position next year. He, he's got to be. It, if you went out and did end up signing Carr, who is one grade above Heineke and Wentz, maybe two. Like, uh, no, he's every bit of two. And you're the fan of okay, Carr, so and I haven't been. They're, but they're, yeah, they're not, know, but he's I, not I, comparable I am, but like, to, he, to Heineke he's or Wentz. He got benched and Stidham looked better than Carr. Yeah, but... But Derek Carr has been an NFL quarterback. I mean, at times you've thought he's been close to, like, top 12 in the league. You would never say that about I Wentz. never thought he was into the top 12, but, yes, you are correct. Top 17, 18 in the league for how old is Carr now? That's not, your, that's not the next long-term answer. The reason they go out and sign Carr is in some who knows exactly what happened. He's thirty one. With Ron, over, it, he's going to be thirty two. Carr's only thirty one. He's going to be thirty two. Okay, so he's not old. For some reason, I felt like he was older than that's his brother. I'm thinking of uh, the, the reason you'd go out and sign a veteran quarterback who is definitively not like tenured a winning quarterback, even though Carr's been put into bad situations as well with tons of head coaches and tons of offenses, is because you're trying to find a way to salvage a year to keep your job for another year. Right. And obviously you want your team to have a chance to win games. I don't want to take that out of the equation. But if you really wanted to build and you trusted after the first three years, you trusted that you knew you were going to continue to be here, then you'd draft another guy or you would play how or you would try to build. I, I don't I, – I, 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 I want to interrupt that thought for a second because I don't want to lose this thought. Here's the thing, though. This roster, and I said this last week after they lost to the Browns, um, I, 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 do, I did not anticipate feeling this way at the beginning of the season, but I do feel this way right now. I think they have a really good roster. I think their defense has a chance to be outstanding for the next three to five years. And I know it's going to be hard to keep everything together and keep pain. Keeping pain is a big deal. And, and trading for or signing a Derek Carr, you know, wouldn't leave room to also then go out and sign pain. That's part of the problem with a Derek Carr. But I think that their roster minus the quarterback and, you know, uh, you have to add a, a lineman or three. Um, because that was a major a flaw and weakness this year. I think it's ready to be a playoff team like next year. I think, put it this way, I think we, we said this three weeks ago. If Daniel Jones had been quarterbacking this team, they not only would be in the playoffs, they'd be a threat to win a game or two in the postseason. And that's just Daniel Jones. Well, maybe they'd be better than that. Who knows? Daniel Jones had Saquon Barkley this year. Yeah. They had. And Slayton, I mean, they had very little. 
that Washington's was yeah. When you said it, you said it like he had Saquon Barkley, like it was a lot. No, you what you were saying is all he had was Saquon Barkley. That's my point. Imagine the weapons like McLaurin and Dotson with a real quarterback at some point if they ever get it here. That is going to be a dangerous combination. Dangerous. They're good. They, they but they got to get the quarterback. They got to. I don't. I know that you like Scott Turner, but Scott Turner will not be the answer this time. Well, he's going to get fired here in the next. He may be fired by the time people are listening to this. It's not that I like Scott Turner. Uh, that's not true. I do like Scott Turner, and you're I think they're giving him the benefit of the doubt. You're uh, well, to give him the no, uh, of the no, doubt, no. I want, doing it too it's long. more. It's, it's more. It's more than that. It's more than that. I think you know, going back to 2020, and even at times last year, I actually thought there were a lot of games where they got more than what they really should have gotten out of what they had. Um, but it's not like I've there's, ever... There's too many where they haven't gotten near understood. what they should have gotten. I understand. In the Giant game, especially the Giant game at home this year, that Sunday night game, to me, the second and 18 drop back where Thibodeau comes in, sack, fumble, touchdown, changes the game, and then not giving the ball to Brian Robinson Jr., who was averaging 7.4 yards per carry and got it on only 12 touches. I think his biggest weakness has been feeling the game in-game as a play caller. Whatever. You you guys, all of you people are going to be right. He's going to be gone. My only – the defense of Scott Turner is he started his eighth quarterback on Sunday in three seasons. None of the quarterbacks were any good. He had a terrible offensive line this year. And by the way, last year there was no complimentary football because the defense was a mess. This year he had the complimentary football, and that's why even with bad quarterbacking, you know, or, or average at best quarterbacking in some of those games and a terrible offensive line, they were competitive. But there was one other thing on, on Hal. Because I agree with what you said, you know, you, you only should have been worried about evaluating Hal in this game. You know, if there was, like, legitimate concern, I know we talked a little bit about this on Thursday. Um, why was he the backup during a stretch of the season where you were literally moving into playoff contention? If they really felt that way, it was a little bit irresponsible to have him out there as the backup in some of those games. Just saying. I mean, I would have seeing what I saw yesterday. I was, Honestly, okay. Let's let's just do this really quick. Yeah. Let's just let's just do this. Yeah. Do you? Uh, somebody told Logan. Yeah. Is it a coach or is it another quarterback? I don't. I don't know. I don't know, but, well, can, I you, but, but can I tell you but, something? So I, I heard something mid season that said the same further. thing. I heard something earlier in the season, midpoint of the season, where the word got back to me, and it was not through uh, a player, um, that he wasn't anywhere near ready. Now, that was much earlier in the season, okay? But, you know, it was when, you know, the quarterbacking wasn't great, but it was like not even a decision between him and Heineke because he just didn't wasn't ready to run their offense yet which by the way you know Carson Wentz was never ready to run their offense this year but go ahead play play out the game that you want to play the game all i'm saying to you is it's not irres- potentially it's not irresponsible that that many people didn't feel that way okay when he's the backup quarterback i agree with that I don't and, think it was everybody. Plus, I don't think it was everybody. The other thing, the other thing is like, what are you going to do? Go sign a fourth quarterback because well, you're not going to put Hal on practice squad. He's going to get picked up. You can't release Wentz. I mean, if they were going to do that, they would have had to release Wentz. 
Well, they put him on injured. They put they put him on injured reserve, and they yeah. Well, you'd leave him on injured reserve. Injured reserve, I guess, but that doesn't look good. Everyone knows, and you can't leave him on injured reserve when you know he's healthy. You knew he was going to be healthy. Look, there's it, another spot for another quarterback. It's it's irrelevant. I mean, I I'm just th- throwing it out there because I just if if they really felt that way, I said last Monday before Ron changed his mind, it's really an indictment on one of two things if he doesn't play in the final. It's it, it says that you got it wrong in the draft if you if if you are fearful, you know, 17 weeks in the season uh, about playing a fifth round quarterback in a meaningless game. It means you got it wrong or you just never coached him up at any point. Um, bottom line is though, it doesn't matter at this point. We've now seen him play a game and he played pretty well. So uh, and he's given everybody that, that cares about this team some reason to be optimistic that maybe, maybe the starting quarterback is on the roster. I wouldn't wager on that at this point, um, but I'm intrigued with Hal, and I wasn't the biggest Hal guy coming out of college. The one thing I wanted to say, and we'll get to our, our complete game take here in a moment, I think he really looks – I always felt this way at Carolina too – I think he looks small on the field. I think he looks short and stocky. He looks like, he looks like Heineke's little brother. <laughs> but he's boxier. It's a boxier build. Right? right? I mean, he's got a way more than Heineke, right? I think he does. Clearly has a bigger sure arm. He, he weighs 225. I don't know what Heineke weighs. I'm going to guess it's not 225. No, probably 200. Actually, I'm interested in how much Heineke weighs now. Let me see. 210, he's listed at. Both 6'1", 225 for, for, uh, for Hal, 210 for Heineke. All right, uh, should we get to our breakdown of the game? Sure. All right, we'll do that right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Pay attention. Here's Kevin's Game Take. All right, my game take today, which will be a dueling game take on the season finale with Cooley, is brought to you by MyBookie. Go to MyBookie.ag, use my promo code KevinDC, and they will double your first deposit dollar for dollar all the way up to 1000 bucks. you got a national championship game tonight. TCU is a 13-point underdog right now at MyBookie, and all of the playoff lines are out, Cooley. 
um, for Super Wild Card Weekend. Uh, the 49ers are 10-point favorites over Seattle in the first game on Saturday. The Chargers are one of two road favorites. They're minus one at Jacksonville. I actually thought that was going to be higher. I thought the Chargers were going to be like a three-point favorite on the road at Jacksonville. Um, Buffalo's a 10.5-point favorite in the early game on Sunday. In the late afternoon game, Minnesota is a three-point favorite over the Giants. In the Sunday night game, uh, Cincinnati's a 6.5-point favorite over Baltimore. I wonder if Lamar Jackson's going to play in that game. I mean, I, I, Baltimore's got no chance if Lamar Jackson doesn't play. And no that, chance. None. And that, that line will change to what it was. It'll change to 12 if, he, if they define that he's not going to play. Um, and then in, it won't be 12, but it might go to 9. Um, and then in the Monday night game a week from tonight, the Cowboys, after looking the way they looked yesterday, are three-point favorites at Tampa – um, in uh, what will definitely be the marquee game of the entire weekend. Uh, and they put that one in the Monday night window, which, by the way, if you're thinking about the following weekend, that means definitively that Philadelphia, the one seed, um, if uh, unless there's an upset over the 49ers, um, or or the or actually or the Giants win, uh, Dallas uh, and or Tampa would play Philadelphia the following Sunday. They're not going to make the Dallas Tampa winner play on Saturday after playing on Monday night. Anyway, go to mybookie.ag. Use my promo code Kevin DC. All of those bets available right now. The Super Bowl favorite. Kansas City at plus 340. Remember, if the Chiefs end up playing the Bills in the AFC title game, that game will be on a neutral field. Uh, the NFL did avoid the coin flip between Cincinnati and Baltimore. If Baltimore had won, they would have coin flipped on the game this coming weekend, but that game will be uh, in Cincinnati. The long shot, by the way, in the postseason is Miami at plus 6,200. Who knows who's going to play quarterback? Uh, for the Dolphins. And really, it's the Dolphins and the Ravens right now where the quarterback is uh, at issue. All right. uh, Let's do this by starting with however you want to title it. You know, if you want to do us and ums or something else. But give me the things that you thought were good in the game and the things that you thought were bad in the game. And then I'll do mine. Well, the things that are good in the game is, one, Howell, you cannot overlook the fact that he did play really well in in the game. I, mean, I thought he was consistent throughout, other than the one pick. Um, like he had a he had a ball laid on a slant. We talked about a couple of the other ones, but the one the one pick is bad. You know, he doesn't see Malik Hooker on a run action. He also they're running on the pick down in the red zone. They're running Terry McLaurin on like an in and out. Uh, and Diggs is over the top of Terry McLaurin, and Terry, the Diggs falls off of that as well, deeper into the end zone. The one read should have just been an easy in and out throw to Terry. I mean, it's not just Malik Cooker that he misses. I think Trayvon Diggs has a chance to pick that as well. Yeah, right. So that's a that's a miss for a young kid. And he, really, the you'd want that safety to step up. And the thing is, is he'll even step up further if you're looking hard at Terry McLaurin. On the shorter route, there's a potential that he'll step up more, but because you're staring it down, everyone falls into it. Should have just been thrown to Terry. Other than that, you know, the scrambles, the move of the offense, the third down, a couple third down conversions, 
Uh, I thought he played really well. I thought a couple deep balls he threw were really well. So I think Sam Howell is a big mm, or positive. Uh, the Do you have a grade for him? Outstanding. Do you have a grade for him? B. Okay. B plus. Hmm. Based on based based on whatever it is, I don't know. It would be a little bit different if we watched the film, but I've, I've watched it. I watched it on condensed this morning, just just the offense again, and no, it, it, impressive. Okay. You know what? What else is a? Uh, mm. The defense was was awesome. Yeah, it was. And not just the run defense, which was absolutely outstanding, where Dallas couldn't get anything going on the ground. Amazingly, after Chubb just gashed them the week before. The pass defense was actually very good as well, and some of the young players in the secondary making plays, driving on balls, breaking things up. It, it was really good on the back end, contesting balls throughout the entire day. I thought Dak looked bad. I know that offense, and they, they talked about it on the broadcast, has been prolific since he's been back. Dak is a question mark for me. Me too. Still at this point in his career. He is a guy that is going to throw risky passes. They're going to, at times, they fall into throwing the ball too much. And I think that there's a huge question mark on Dak Prescott. Me too. Not that he's their guy or not, but just that he has got a, is he a quarterback that can take you to a Super Bowl and win games for you week in and week out? And I don't know. If, I really don't. I don't know if it is, if he is. But yeah. that said, the defense was awesome. The special teams was was outstanding in this game. Well, except for the kicker. Special teams wise, the kicker. Well, Joe, and except for Joey Sly, who missed two field two goals and an extra and point, and an extra point, he shanked a field goal, thirty-one yards. Do you want to change your opinion on this on the special teams? Because field field goal no. kicking and well, okay, okay. Let's put it this way. Let's put it away. The, the playmaking, and this isn't even here. It isn't even this. It's it's ugly on Dallas. <laughs> they drop they drop a punt. Yeah, but those those in any game in this in a regular season that matters when the punter drops when you pick it up and you got a chance to score from the fifteen and then they botch a punt and you got a chance to score you're essentially winning a game with two turnovers on special teams. True, you're almost winning any game with two turnovers on special teams. And really, when you watch this game, this should have been fifty to zero, or fifty <laughs> to seven, or fifty to fourteen. Like this wasn't a game. Yeah. The other thing I really liked from this game, I thought Patterson was really good running the football. Me too. Better than Williams. I thought Patterson was exceptional running the football. Uh, I continue to like Jahan Dotson. I think he's really going to be a good player. Terry McLaurin is, is, is great. He did have that one drop on the third down across the middle of the field, but he's great. Um, the, the Kendall Fuller pick. By the way, you have two botched special teams plays and a pick six. That should be a 28-point <laughs> yeah. So, again, really impressive. I thought, I thought for the most part, here's what I didn't. Here's what I did and didn't like. If this was a game of of meaning and and you had to win this game and you had Sam Howell and this was your guy, I thought there was good balance for Sam Howell. I thought they that he was essentially in in better positions. I liked the run balance with Patterson. And, and getting Williams involved and in, in how they manage things. I, I didn't like it because that's not what I needed to see and that's not what I wanted to see. Right. I wanted to see Sam Howell play yeah. and execute. Yeah. But I would say the balance that, that Scott Turner put out in this game really kept them consistent. It kept the offensive line in a position where they could protect Hal. Um, really, what? What was there? Two sacks? Three, uh, three sacks and, and a few pressures. I mean, there were some breakdowns, in, I thought, in pass pro. 
you know, there were there were a couple that were immediate breakdown, but for the most part, there there was still some balance, and, and they were able. Oh, to they they, they ran it forty one times and threw it nineteen times. I I'm totally with you. That's on my list of things that I didn't like. Like I wanted to see Sam Howe throw it more. Who cares about winning? It would, it would have been better if had they lost. Although it only cost them two spots in draft order, and it could, yeah. but it could potentially could have it, could have cost them. A lot of spots. More. It didn't, though. Um, but I, I agree with you. Like, I wanted to see him throw it more, but they went with kind of this, you know, heavy run emphasis and, you know, and, and, and trying to, to make some plays off of that. And, and they did well with it. But anyway, continue. Do you I any- think that's large in part how I, how I feel about this game. Okay. Uh, without going deep into Patterson, without going deep into – I mean, we talked about how a little bit more. Yeah. Um, and And, and – and again, I, I do. I would like to emphasize it one more time, though. I was really impressed with all the pass breakups on the on the defensive side of the ball. Right. With with young guys, you know, the kid Butler looked really good. Agreed. That they said they were excited about playing. Um. They they are a team. Oh, here's another thing I don't like that I think should change. The last thing. Dax Milne cannot be your punt returner. He had he had the second biggest punt return he's had all year. He had a 16 yard punt return, but no, he can't be your punt returner next year. No, he just he, that's he just he can't be your punt returner. And he fair catches balls that you're like, gosh, why don't you just take an extra four? <laughs> why don't you catch and get six? Right. All right. Let me. Uh... Let me go through my list. All right, things I liked. I, it, it's number one for me was the defense. It was, it was maybe the most dominating defensive performance of the year without a lot of their starters. You know, coming off one of the worst defensive performances of the year last week. I mean, there was no John Allen, there was no St. Juice, there was no Cam Curl, there was no Jamin Davis, there was no Smith Williams, and the defense played lights out. I, I am so with you on Dak Prescott. There is something not right, um, and I could see. Look, they're favored at Tampa, and the world's going to be betting uh, betting uh, Tampa on Monday night. And Tampa's not very good, but I don't think Dallas can win more than one playoff game. I I just don't see it with Prescott. I mean, he came into this game, we had talked about he had thrown like seven or eight interceptions coming into this game in the last four games. Uh, and he he not only threw, he not only threw a pick six to Fuller, he threw a pick six ball on the snap before it. Fuller could have could have right. could have had two pick sixes. I mean, only one. But but it, I thought that Dak Prescott had one of the worst games that I've seen any like legitimate starting quarterback, not named like Nathan Peterman, have in a long time. <laughs> listen, listen to this. I mean, Dallas came into this game top three or four in scoring, top three or four in yards. Washington held Dallas in a game that they look. They're playing all their starters. You know, they were certainly going to play the first half to try to win the game just in the event the Giants pulled off some stunner. They held the Cowboys to six points, 182 total yards, the fewest for them as a team in over two years. Dallas had 10 three and outs. I've never heard of anything like that. I'm talking about with a legitimate offense and a legitimate quarterback. I'm not talking about, you know, you're playing the third string quarterback in week 18 and he stinks and, you know, they had 10 three and outs. And by the way, if you count the pick six, it's really 11 three and outs because that was a third down play. They punted 
10 times. 10. They missed on two fourth downs. So imagine they had punted on those. There would have been 12 punts. Actually, one of those fourth downs was the punt that the uh, punter dropped. You know, that's not counted as a turnover, Cooley. That's counted as a fourth down stop. Now, if he drops the ball and fumbles it and it's recovered, it's a turnover. But really, the result of the play is a turnover um, for all intents and purposes. But... um, the Cowboys were four for 18 on third down. They averaged 2.8 yards per play. 2.8. This was a prolific offense over the last two months coming in. They were completely shut down. And I just thought Dak honestly had the worst day. It was the second worst passing yardage day of his career. He was 14 of 37. I mean, Seriously, in today's NFL, have you heard much about? Have you ever heard of 14 out of 37 for 128 yards? The throws that he was making, especially in the first half, were so god awful. They were high, they were low, they were off, they were late. Um, He was horrendous. Uh, But I don't want to take away from Washington's defense in making him look that way. But it was really surprising how bad Prescott was. But Washington, the players, by the way, that stood out, you mentioned a couple of them. Um, Sweat, pain. For me, Kalik Hudson, I thought, really looked stood out. I thought Mayo stood out. I thought Danny Johnson in some of those pass breakups. Kendall Fuller, Forrest, the dude wearing number 79. I can't pronounce his last name. I think it's Samoan or Hawaiian um, that they just called up. Um, he did look good. Yeah, um, I'm sure I'm missing some of the players. I thought Chase Young, I, I think he, the, the really good news about Chase Young's three games, he looks right athletically. He looks like Chase Young athletically. I'm not sure he's entirely where he's supposed to be on every play, um, but for right now, the good news, he doesn't appear to have uh, to have lost any of his athleticism, but... I don't know. It was just it was like the Houston game. I mean, Dallas looked like Houston did when Washington played them. Like there was no chance that they were going to win that game. It was a complete shutdown. And I think overall this season the emergence of this defense that played at like a top 3 to 5 level in the conference, top 5 to 10 level in the league, you know, the traditional numbers yards allowed, which is how you end up being ranked defensively, which I think is a a stupid number to use, but they end up third in the league in defense in terms of ranking, first in the league in 2022 in third down defense. You know, they held teams to 31.9% on third down after being 31st in the league a year ago. By the way, the next best in the league was Denver at 34.1%. So near so 2.2% better than the than the, the second best third down defense. That's a significant difference statistically. Um The biggest disappointment on defense this year, and it's something that they're going to need to improve upon, especially if they don't have dynamic offensive teams because of quarterbacking moving forward, is takeaways. You know, they had 18 total as a team this year, and I think four of them came on special teams. So basically 14 to 15 roughly defensive takeaways. That's 26th in the league. You know, and if you want to look at – a top two to three reason as to why this team isn't in the playoffs with the kind of defense it played this year, it would be takeaways. You know, the first 
uh, five games of the year, they had two takeaways. Then they had 14 takeaways during that seven-game or eight-game stretch where they were 5-2. and two. You five and two during that that seven game stretch. Then when they went oh three and one, they only had two takeaways. Well, yesterday they had two technically, although the punter dropping the ball really is three. You know that you you can just look at that number alone and say if they had had another five or six takeaways this year, it would have meant another win, and it would have been the difference between making the postseason and not making the postseason. But defense overall was it may have been against a team that had something to play for, although I agree with you. It looked like they thought that there was no chance that the Giants would do it sitting all their starters, and they played it almost like a bye week. You know That may have been part of the reason that the defense was so dominant, but still, I'd be worried if I were a Cowboy fan about Dak Prescott in I particular. I'd be worried about I'd be worried about Dak Prescott, but I would not think twice about that game. They did not show up and play. Okay, that's fair. And by the way, the fact that they're a three-point favorite on the road against Tampa and Brady, and I know that they, they aren't very good either, but I think that the odds makers agree with what you just said, that yesterday is meaningless to them because they were a three-point favorite over Tampa before the day started in a projected look ahead, and they were a three-point favorite after um, yesterday. Um, also on the list of things that I liked, I added Jared, pa- I had Jared Patterson on my list as well. Um, I-, I think every time we've seen him, he's looked good. And, you know, this team is drafted really well on, on the running back front, you know, from Gibson, you know, to Brian Robinson Jr., um, picking up Jonathan Williams, dra- or signing Jarrett Patterson as an undrafted free agent. You know, J.D. McKissick, unfortunately, I hope he ends up being healthy enough just to play football. You know, when he was healthy in 2020, I thought they got a lot out of him. But they're in, they're, they're, they're in a really good spot running back-wise, and the receivers were on my list as well. Terry and Jahan each had a drop in the game. Terry had a flat-out drop. Jahan had one of those deep balls that he could have pulled in. But, man, if they can just find a quarterback with those two, with Samuel, with their running backs, and then if they can improve their O-line, look out. It was also one of the cleanest games they've played all year, certainly over the last five weeks. They had two penalties. That was it. They didn't turn. They had the one turnover, you know, the, the one interception in the end zone. And then I did put on the list of things that I liked Dax Milne's 16-yard punt return um, because it was so shocking. And then Sam Howell, you know, I, I don't want to get we've, – we've already talked a lot about him. I won't add a lot to it other than to say that – I really, really like the fact that he's a combination of a guy that, you know, I don't know what he's going to be as a quarterback, nor does anybody else. However, compared to what they've had here recently, he's got the arm strength, and then he's also got the ability to play off schedule. By the way, the 52-yard completion to Terry McLaurin was an air distance throw of 60 yards per next gen, Target separation was 0.9 yards. The completion probability was 20.2%. None of that matters to me. Here's what was interesting to me. It's the longest completion air yards-wise by a Washington quarterback since 2016. (laughs) I would have thought that Wentz's throw to, like, De'Ami Brown in that Tennessee game, which was a 75-yard touchdown pass, would have been a 60-yard air air yard throw, but it wasn't. Hal put one right on, on Dotson. 
I love his decisiveness as a scrambler. We both talked about multiple times in big games against the Giants in particular where we thought that 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 Taylor should have run, that he should have been more decisive as a scrambler, and he wasn't, and Sam Howell didn't hesitate. You mentioned the two-third and fours. Um, the read option keeper was beautiful. The way he cut, first of all, it was an, it's odd to see on a read option like that a total cutback the way he did. Right. Um, no, you don't. You don't see it because they don't want to get killed in the middle. Exactly. Um, you but didn't care. I gave him a B plus A minus. That was my grade. I gave it out on radio. You ended up giving him a B plus. So I, I thought. I, look, the context for it: first start, you know, missing some pieces on offense, um, playing a team that has a a legit first rate pass rush in particular, and I and I did think that there was some pass protection issues in this game. I give him a B plus A minus. The things I didn't like, Joey Sly, I mean, he ended up missing four extra points this year. He missed five field goals. If it weren't for the Philadelphia game where he made the 58 and 55-yard field goals, um, which was the biggest night of his career, I'd say you got to look for a new kicker. Um, uh, by the way, Dallas's special teams were horrendous. They had the punter uh, bungle. They had the Turpin fumble on the punt return. Their kicker missed a field goal and an extra point. I mean, they were horrendous. I, I thought pass protection, like it's been all, ish, all all year long, was at times an issue. And really my biggest criticism other, other, uh, other than Sly is what you said, and I talked about this this morning on my radio show. I, I, yesterday was about Sam Howell. He threw the ball 19 times. Now, I know he had five rushes, and I think three of them were scrambles. So it's 22 dropbacks, and then three sacks, 25 you know, dropbacks. But I didn't need to see 41 runs and 19 throws. I didn't need to see Jarrett Patterson and Jonathan Williams combine, along with Reggie Bonifin, for 34 carries. I didn't need to see that. But I think, you know, like he has been all season long – I think, and you pointed this out in that first Giant game, I think the biggest concern after quarterback limitation was how do we protect our limited quarterbacks? I think that was the biggest offensive concern all year long, and their solution was to run the shit out of the ball, try to be heavy run-to-pass ratio, and then try to hit some of the, you know, some of the stuff off of it, even though they, they didn't really coordinate it very well at times. I'll agree with that. Um, but yeah, uh, the, the only other, um, the only other observation I wanted to make, I had it right here. Oh, one last kind of from the game yesterday, because it was something I saw all year long and I mentioned it multiple times. They almost yesterday had two more punts blocked. There has been, I, I don't think they got a punt blocked this year. I don't think Tressway got a punt blocked, but I bet you that there were at least seven to eight I mean, within a whisker of having a punt blocked this year. And it was always interior pressure, which, by the way, the quarterback pressure was always interior pressure this year. I'm shocked that we got through 17 games with their punt protection and they did not get a punt blocked this year because it looked like every single special teams coach for the opponent said, I think we can get the, uh, to the head coach. I think we can get one this week. They got some issues. I think we can take advantage of it and we can get one this week. They didn't, but they should have. Um, also, by the way, um, one thing too. 
One of the Sam Howell throws that you said was underthrown and, and it, it drew the DPI, I wanted to ask you, do you think that was intentionally underthrown or not? Well, it kind of mentioned that it could have been. It's hard to say. You'd have to ask Sam Howell. Yeah. That if, if he was trying to back shoulder him and let him go get it. But like I thought Terry had some space to go get it out in front. It was also his first vertical ball thrown down the field. His first deep ball of the game. Right. Right, it was, wasn't it? Uh, by the way, yep. he also had a throw to Terry in the red zone um, that was clearly defensive pass interference against Terry that wasn't called. It wasn't a great throw, um, but uh, it was um, it was clearly DPI, and they, they didn't call it. I, I, I thought, you know. Yeah, the, the slant throw. I don't think he was getting to that ball, but, yeah, that was where he got hooked. Yeah. I mean, that's really what I have from the game. I would just mention a couple of things. Number one, um, I heard, and I wasn't there for it, but I heard that the sunny Jersey retirement ceremony went well, that there were no blunders, you know, and that's, that's, a, that's you know, always the risk with anything that they do, that Sonny's family was a big part of it. Billy unveiled the Jersey. They didn't do it on the field. Um, Frank Herzog, by the way, for those of you that, um, you know, uh, and that's right. I'm, th- I'm thinking, so I had recorded the podcast on Friday with Tommy and then came the news that Frank was going to, that Frank got invited, which I'm glad he did. And he was in the booth with, uh, Bram and London and Julie, um, for, for much of the game and apparently was just thrilled to be there. So I'm really happy Frank was there. I'm happy the sunny thing went off without any kind of an embarrassment, um, uh, because that would have, that would have upset not only me, but many of you as well. Um, and I did hear from many of you about as the Dallas fans, which made up, you know, most of you said between, you know, 70 and 80% of the crowd yesterday, when they left uh, in the fourth quarter and only Washington fans were left, I heard about the na, 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 hey, 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 goodbye, and pointing to the Snyder box. Um, And really the big takeaway from this entire season is that, you know, we got a gift. I mean, it was the wish that we had had for years upon years that Snyder would end up either being ousted or he would sell the team. Um, and the biggest picture takeaway from this season has nothing to do with 8-8-1, eight, eight, and one, nothing to do with them cratering down the stretch and missing the postseason, really nothing to do with how we feel right now about the coaching staff. We're going to talk a lot about that stuff. But it's amazing that we are actually sitting here after a season and we can actually talk about a future that may not include Dan Snyder as the owner. Um, and the 23-year nightmare, it looks like it has a chance to end here. So keep your fingers crossed that that happens. Apparently Dan was not at the game yesterday. That's the second straight week. He wasn't at the game. The reports were that Tanya was. Um, and uh, and there you go, 8-8-1. Eight, eight, and one. Um, For Ron, by the way, I think it's his first, you know, for all of you that obsess – and I say obsess, and I'm not saying I'm not minimizing it. I just think he's been a better coach than many of you believe he's been. Not a great coach, but many of you think he's been terrible. But it's his first non-losing season since 2017, going eight, eight, and one. 
Um, and that makes his record here in Washington 22, 27, and one in three years. And I think right now it's about what's next and what, you know, Snyder and Tanya, what Dan and Tanya will do. Uh, I don't know why they would fire Dan, uh, why they would fire Rivera and his staff rather than leaving that up to the new owner whenever that happens. Um, but I don't, I don't know how long this will take either. Um, We'll see. You have any thoughts on any of the big picture stuff, franchise wise? I think the only reason that you would fire Rivera is if new ownership didn't want to fire Rivera, and that had any semblance or any impact on the deal. Say that again. Say that again. Let's say let's say I'm buying the team right now. I'm going to pay the six billion dollars or five billion or seven six and a half to seven. Seven. I know. I also. No, it doesn't matter. I'm just saying, uh, uh, thinking out loud. Like, if I don't want to be the guy that immediately fires Ron Rivera, but then it's seven, and then I'm going to spend another two on a new stadium, so I'm in nine billion dollars. I really don't care if I fire Ron. Rivera. <laughs> exactly. The issue is timing. The issue is nobody. Nobody really knows how long this might take. We're, you know. By the way, I'm convinced that he's selling and he's selling the whole thing. Um, I am convinced of that. Uh, but you know, there's always that, that, you know, thing that the guy from Forbes reported that it could be kind of a staged thing where somebody takes 20% now, 20% next year, 20% the year before takes a majority of it. And that a full hundred and percent maybe, you know, is a five-year thing. Um, but I don't know. I don't know what Ron Rivera is going to be able to do. I would say that the chances that Ron Rivera gets fired are between now and an ownership change are pretty slim, but I think that Scott Turner getting fired is a high probability. I think that that is, I think he is going to be the scapegoat for not making the postseason. Um, that's what I think with respect to that. So we'll see. Yeah, I don't think they make him a scapegoat by fi- So I don't think they make him a scapegoat by firing him. I just don't think he's good enough as an offensive coordinator. I know you I, don't. I think within what they were trying to do as a team and knowing their quarterback maybe wasn't good enough and where what they had gotten to at that point in the season with the, what their offense was, I, I, I don't know. I'm sure Scott Turner's like, hey, all I could do is run the ball every time. Like there wasn't there wasn't stuff there we couldn't protect we couldn't but I don't think it evolved enough over three years to be able to do the things that you want to do as an offense. The the other real proof with the Scott Turner situation is does he sign as an offensive coordinator anywhere else in the league? I think I, I actually think Scott actually, probably is a good okay would be a good college offensive coordinator. But let's, does he go anywhere else in the NFL? Let's say get a job. let's say the answer is no. Okay, so let's put Scott Turner to the side. That's fine. Okay, you, I, I get it. You don't think he would be hired by anybody else to be an OC. I can't disagree I, with no, you. I, I don't think so. Okay, I, I'm not, I'm not going to disagree with you. Usually these OCs are like hot you know, c- commodities, and they're not running the 27th-ranked offense in the league and the 26th-ranked scoring offense in the league. Here's a question for you, though. Okay, let's just say he gets fired in the next – because Ron kind of almost implied that this could be coming. Charles Leno Jr. said, 
Um, I thought we did in the Philadelphia game what we did. I thought we had an identity starting in the Philadelphia game. I felt like that was our identity when they ran the ball 50 times. And we started on a win streak after that. At times, we got away from that for whatever reason. I don't know what the reason may be, but that's not my job. If you guys missed the Sam 48 column from the Washington Post, Over the weekend, commanders players are frustrated with offensive play calling. Nine commanders who spoke on the condition of anonymity um, to be candid about Scott Turner expressed frustration with the play calling. Let me just tell you, when you see that kind of a story at the end of a year for a team that's not going to the postseason, it's like it's like a a nine in ten chance that that's that that Sam Fortier knows that Scott Turner is going to be fired. So I think he's going to be fired. Here's my question for you. What do they do with the ownership situation? Who, who of any significance would take this job without knowing what's next for Ron Rivera and the staff, the rest of the staff? And by the way, without an answer at quarterback at this point, who are you going to get? Um, a lot of people will go take that job. I'll go take that job tomorrow as an offensive coordinator. I know you would, and I would hire you tomorrow. But you go for one year. Let's and here, here's the only good thing about this job, or, or one of the good things about this job, you do have playmakers. There's potential that you're going to sign a quarterback in the off season, and there's potential that it would be Carr. I don't know. It it would be tough to go and work with with Hal, and and have to bring a young quarterback along the entire way. Not impossible. You have guys that you can get the ball to. You have guys that you can distribute. You go and try to make a push that you need two offensive linemen, and you'd have a couple offensive upgrades. Probably not a, a ton, but if you go and you take whatever that offense is in one year and have great success or have have a step up in success, you take the 27th and the 26th and you go to 14 and 13, you're getting a job anywhere else you want, and you're potentially a head coach candidate. When Ron gets fired, I think, I, or if he were to get fired, I think you're also leaving out the importance of coming to a team that has a a potential great defense and the opportunities that's that's going to give you, you know, offensive balance throughout an entire game and run your game plan through an entire game. Yeah, no, I think I think it's it's a job that anybody could look at on on the rise and say this is a great stepping stone. I don't know if it's a job that you're going to go out and get a coordinator, an offensive coordinator this year who gets fired from a staff who has done a good job. I, I can't name one off the top of my top of my head, but well, I think yeah. it's, a, it's an up-and-coming job where you get a quarterback's coach at, at some team that, that a lot of people like and believe in. You go, look, this guy's got something to him, and, and that's a huge step up to run your own offense. Yeah, to run your own offense and to be the guy is a huge step up. And the other aspect of this job that's really, I think, important is you are in charge of the offense. Ron's a defensive-minded head coach. You are literally given the reins to the offense. It will not be a hard position to fill. Well, the, but again, I would say to you, okay, I like the sales pitch on the team that you have, but how do I know that I'm going to get there and I'm going to be hired by Ron Rivera and that's the staff and then the, the new owner is going to come in and clean everybody out and even buy me out of my contract? There's too much uncertainty 
with the team in this kind of uh, situation. That's all I would say. I would also mention one other thing. If, you know, there's no concern about the ownership, and if Ron's even in position to make all of these decisions, if they give him the leeway to do it. And I did think about, why is Dan, why are Dan and Tanya going to give Ron the okay to fire Scott? He's under contract until the year 2024, 2025. They extended him in the offseason. What does he make, Cooley? A million bucks a year, a million and a half a year? What do you think? What do you think Scott Turner makes? I bet I bet he's around a million. Okay. A million and a half. I think so, when, I, I, remember, I think when McVay first took that job, it was like around nine hundred and fifty grand. Okay, so took it as a first time. So player. I so mean, it's probably around a million a year. If I'm Dan and Tanya, it's like I'm selling the team. I don't give a shit what happens to this team moving forward. No, you're not firing whoa, him. Whoa, he's under contract. Whoa. whoa, whoa, yeah, good point. I'm selling the team for seven billion dollars. I, I got it. I do not want to spend that three million dollars left on his contract. Uh, but but, it, but 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 you know what? Really? It's still a ca- It's still a business right now that has been struggling from a cash flow standpoint on just a you know standalone P and L. Okay, so in, but but why would he want to throw any money away at this point? He didn't care what happens to the team. He should just say, you know well, what? That's it, not going to be. That's not, I'm not letting you make that decision. I, that that'll be for the new owner to make. Unless he's going to be the owner for a lot longer than we think. Well, it's Ron's coaching staff, and so he can tell him he can't make the decision all he wants, but it's Ron's firing. Well, he's the owner, right? He can nix it. He can say, you're not firing him. What do so you mean? you're just going to – so you're, you're saying he's not going to give him the authority to hire anybody else. Uh, what I'm so saying, Nick, what I'm saying Nick, is, I actually do think I he's going to. Well, I'm trying to find any way to circumvent what you're doing. So I'm just going to make my receivers coach the coordinator. Anybody else at this time? Yeah, Ken Zampezi, the quarterbacks coach, is going to be elevated to offensive coordinator. But guess what? We're going to have to sign him to an. We're going to have to increase his pay, and while we're still pay, paying, and I know it's peanuts compared to what he's about to get. I'm just saying. I, look, I th- I actually think he's going to get let go. I think that's reading the tea leaves, the 40A story in particular, some of the comments from some of the players. Um, so I think he, you know, Dan will probably say fine, you know, uh, but really if Dan's going to sell the team in March or April, if that's going to get finalized, why, why would he make any of those decisions or, or allow his coach to make his head of football operations, Ron Rivera, to make any of those decisions? I would just say, no, right now there's a spending freeze, hiring freeze, firing freeze. That's all for the new owner to make a decision on. I just think that that's a possibility. It is. It'd be a great way to set your team back. Well, he doesn't care. Or he does. Um, He wants to set them back. I don't know. What else do you have? Because I do want you to come on later in the week and we can preview the playoff games. Because what's interesting about the playoff games this week I don't think there's like a super attractive matchup. I mean, Dallas-Tampa is attractive, no. but neither team's great. Um, and, you know, the, 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 the Dolphins and the Ravens have quarterback issues. You know, the Seahawks get in 
uh, by winning in overtime over McVay's Rams and, and the Packers losing last night. My God, that game, you know, f- look, I said it, and I still think I'm standing by it, that the, the, they, they set it up to really try to, you know, increase the chances of Green Bay getting into the postseason by having Seattle's game go before and Detroit finding out right before kickoff they had nothing to play for. I didn't expect that they would lay down against a division rival in many ways, and I think Collinsworth may have pointed this out. Maybe it was Tariko. Did you see the 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 razzle dazzle play that they ran at the end of the game on their final possession? Kind of the hitch and pitch at, at the line of scrimmage. Did you see that play or not? Did I was you? I was I was done by then. Okay, so Green Bay. So Detroit gets the ball back up twenty to sixteen, and on their final drive, trying to run the clock out, they had a second and seventeen. Goff uh, passed at the line of scrimmage to Amon Ross St. Brown who turned and pitched it to DeAndre Swift, and he picked up, you know, like, uh, I think it was like 14 of the 17 yards to set up third and three. And I think Tarico said, if they were playing for a playoff spot, do you think we would have seen that call? And I thought it was a great point. Now, it's kind of the way Dan Campbell coaches anyway, but... Um, yeah, like they also went for a fourth and one with a minute 15 left that, that clinched the game. Green Bay was out of timeouts and it was a long one. It was closer to two and they threw the pass, which ended the game. I don't know that if they were truly playing for a playoff spot, if they wouldn't have kicked the field goal to go up 23 to 16 and just said, you know what, with a minute 10 left after this kickoff and no timeouts, we got a pretty good shot. Um, but anyway, Detroit did a great job. Uh, I mean, Aaron Rodgers had Aaron Jones fumble at the end of the first half, threw a ball to uh, Romeo Dobbs right in his hands when they were up. It would have been a big play, probably put him up two scores, and he dropped it. Um, and then you heard Aaron Rodgers after the game. And I'll, I'll just say this. If he ends up becoming available with new ownership here, that would be number one on my list in terms of you know personnel. Go get Aaron Rodgers to put with Terry McLaurin and Jahan Dotson and Brian Robinson Jr. and Antonio Gibson and Curtis Samuel and a top 10 defense in the league. And let's go contend for a Super Bowl next year. I mean, I don't know that Aaron no Rodgers. Doubt. No question. And then leave Scott Turner where he is because he's great. We don't need Scott Turner. I, I, I would tell Aaron. No, no, I would, no, no I would tell Rodgers, you tell me who you want the offense. We'll hire Nathaniel Hackett. Hackett's available. We'll bring, we'll bring Hackett here. That was his favorite guy anyway. Isn't it amazing that you're saying that? Like anybody in Denver listening to you say that right now would laugh. Okay. I like Nathaniel Hackett too, though. I like him a lot. I don't know what happened to Denver. <laughs> well, he clearly wasn't a head coach. You know, Nor- Norv wasn't the greatest of head coaches. But, um, anyway, uh, the playoff. The, the, um, no, that would be that would be amazing. You are a Super Bowl contender right now with Aaron Rodgers. Well, yeah, with that team around him, 100%. Even if, by the way, the offensive line was this year's offensive line, you'd still figure out a way with Aaron Rodgers to have won well, 12 games this year. Work. Huh? You'll also you'll, – you'll also, have an actual concept how to fucking protect. Yeah. Do you know there Sorry. are pe- Do you know there are people listening right now? I swear to you this is true. 
Because when we had the conversation two years ago about Aaron Rodgers and Matt Stafford and Deshaun Watson, and when we had the conversation in the offseason, yes, about Russell Wilson, agreed, okay, understood, that that would not have been the great move. But there are people out there right now saying, are you guys out of your mind? You're going to take on Aaron Rodgers' contract? Did you watch Sam Howell play yesterday? They don't have to spend on the quarterback. No, you think you're laughing. But there are people out there, and by the way, there are other people out there saying, you bring back Heineke and Howe and let them compete it, compete for the job. And then you take that money that, that you won't have with Wentz, the 20-something million, you keep Deron Payne, you add two offensive linemen, and you, know, you can win nine games you, yeah. next year and be a wild card team. If you, if you got Aaron Rodgers, you'd be a Super Bowl contender next year. Here's the thing. I wouldn't have done what Denver did for Russell Wilson. And you, I've done this show long enough with you I know. that you, you understand. I know. Well, I, I think Russell Wilson has done a lot of really great things. I, I, that's just not the direction I w- would go, would have went, would have went in Seattle five years ago, and Seattle moved on from that. But Aaron Rodgers, that's a different deal. you got to deal with some of his divaness. No, who cares? But he, he's a different – anybody that – I'm sorry. I'm sorry. If you, if you were just going to say – Let's build on Sam Howell, and you had a chance to get Aaron Rodgers. You're you're dead wrong. Oh, but it could work out in the long term with Sam Howell. It could. It you're just wrong right now. Yeah, it would be great for Sam Howell to you know play behind Aaron Rodgers for the next two to three years. I mean, sure. Sam Howell doesn't cost that anything. Means, I'm not saying right, right. I'm not going to say that he is or isn't going to be anything. He did a good job in a, in, a, in a game, which is nice. It, but it's not like, – you can do so many different things with Aaron Rodgers. That's not, even, the weapons a, that's not even a conversation. It's, it's a, not – It's not. no, it's not. It's just, it's just dumb. No. And you're right. You, you know, even when Russell Wilson was killing it in Seattle, Cooley always felt that there were certain limitations to Russell Wilson's game. That, you know, he was phenomenal off schedule, the best in the league, but from the pocket, he was limited because of size uh, and a lot of uh, a lot of other things. Um, I would not, by the way, close the book on Russell Wilson. Sean Payton looks like he's going to be the coach in Denver. I don't think Sean Payton would go to Denver unless he felt strongly about being able to make it work with Russell Wilson. Um, because Sean Payton would have you know plenty of options in this offseason. plenty of them. So you know, and I but, think Denver's a good. I think Denver's a good landing spot for him. Well, there, the, the Harbaugh's on the list. Harbaugh's, I think, on going to be on the list for Tepper in Carolina. By the way, what do you? What, I I can't believe I haven't asked you this. Um, not just on the podcast. So, do you think Sean's going to leave coaching? Like a lot of reporting that McVeigh's going to leave the Rams, that he's going to retire. I don't know. I, I don't talk to Sean as much anymore. I, I get the feeling that it's a lot of stress. I don't know. I, here's the thing I, do, I would guarantee you with Sean, is if he leaves coaching, he'll come back to coaching. Exactly. Yeah. But if it's too much right now and he leaves coaching, he'll come back to coaching. Right. And I, I, here, here would be the other thought: is, is but I can't, I can't really imagine this. They, 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 what they did in Los Angeles really doesn't help them continue to build a team. And 
Sean is one of the only people in the world that I, I know who could deal with what they did in Los Angeles with all the big names and all the personalities, all the personalities and manage that and keep everyone happy. But I, it, that's got to be frustrating at times with the guys that they have. Not saying they're bad guys, but just that many big contracts and that little room to build. And Does he love Stafford? Like if he was really looking at it and saying, like, Stafford is going to be here, he's going to be my guy and do whatever I want. I don't know. He's got, it's, been a t- like, it's been a great ride for Sean so far. It's also been super tough as far as losing 50 freaking coaches as well. Like, every year he's got to <laughs> yeah. deal with nine right. fucking thousand calls, uh, including me. It's like, hey, I'll come coach. Like, can I have a job? Can I interview? Can I do this? Like, every single year has been a new hiring skill or new hiring system for Sean McVay. Uh, he's got to deal with all these guys. He doesn't, there's been no draft stuff. There's, it, it's, it's worked for them in, in some aspects, but it can't be that much fun. Cardinals. That much administration for a head coach. Cardinals just fired Cliff Kingsbury uh, and Steve Kime, who has actually, I think he stepped away even prior to the end of the season. He's got issues, personal issues, I think. He did. Um, he's stepping away too. So the Cardinals um, have an opening. So uh, the openings are obviously the first one was Matt Rule getting fired in Carolina, um, Hackett getting fired in Denver, uh, Lovey Smith getting fired in Houston, two coaches, two years in Houston. Um, and now Arizona, who am I forgetting? Am I forgetting anybody? I don't know. I think that's it. Belichick says he's coming back. Um, Belichick's coming back. Yeah. So, um, you know, by the way, I, I wanted to just say one last thing, Mike Tomlin, I, He's never had a losing season in 16 years. He won his last four games to finish 9-8, and eight, and they were damn close to making the postseason. I mean, the Jets had a chance to beat Miami yesterday. Uh, and it would have been better to see the Steelers in the postseason. I would have loved to have seen Kenny Pickett, you know, in the postseason in his rookie year, rather than seeing a Dolphins team that probably is going to have to start its third string quarterback. Maybe I don't. I don't know what the quarterback situation is. But my God, whatever Mike Tomlin does um, as a coach, it works, man. Because that team, we've watched it the last few years. It has been a limited team, a majorly limited team. And they won six out of their final seven games and nearly made the playoffs to finish nine and eight. The dude has never in 16 years had a losing season. It's, an ama- it's, it's amazing, Tomlin, um, how good he is. And, you know, you just think about that organization, three coaches, three coaches, that's it. And Tomlin, you know, has only won one Super Bowl. You know, and I, I guarantee you Mike Tomlin's going to be one of those Hall of Fame conversations that's going to be a tricky one. Because they're going to say, well, Mike Shanahan's got two, Tom Flores has two, and Mike Tomlin only has one Super Bowl. Now, maybe he'll get another one before he's, he's done. Um, but to me, I mean, this is where, like, this is what, and I said this about Rivera the other day, Cooley. I think that a lot of times when people just look at the records, they, they don't understand, and coaches know. Like, sometimes coaches will tell you, that the year they went 6-10 and 10 was the best coaching job they've ever done. 
Like Mike Tomlin going nine and eight this year and not making the playoffs or going eight and eight a few might years have been ago his best year. might have yeah. been the best job he's ever done. That's why when when everybody looks at Rivera, I, I just don't think he's anywhere near as bad as you think he is, you people do. And I'm not saying that I love him, and if they move on from him, fine. And I think at this point he's a different coach than he was in Carolina. I think he's more of a CEO, and clearly he's had more of a, you know, he's had a much bigger role uh, in this organization. But when you just, like Ron Rivera, I think most of his players will tell you, tell you the year that they were without Cam Newton for like three games and then they won their final few games to win the division, even though he had a losing record at 7-8-1, and one, may have been the best job he did. They won a playoff game and nearly won a second. But yeah, his team had a losing record. So chalk that up to a losing record season because you want to keep that narrative that, you know, he only has three winning seasons in the 12 that he's coached or whatever. Um he didn't have a losing season this year. I don't know why I'm defending Ron Rivera because I really don't have strong feelings about him one way or the other. Well, you, you just you just went through. You, <laughs> but it's, what's amazing is is you went through Tomlin and out of the last twelve years, Ron Rivera's only had three winning seasons. I know, I know, but he's, he's also had, never what, two or three eight, eight and eight, and now an eight. He's had, I think he had two eight and eights, and now an eight and eight and one. But he's not had. He's only had three winning seasons out of twelve years. Granted, one of those was a fifteen and one, and I think what a twelve and four and eleven and five. But nobody keeps a job consistently for twelve years when they've only had three winning winning years. Nobody. I understand that. I, I do, and I'm not, and I'm not pushing back on he hasn't won enough, and that very few, if any, coaches would have been afforded the continued opportunities that Ron Rivera's had given the losing seasons. But I would just tell you this, okay, number number one is he's never had a season totally implode, never. Number two is he's been to the playoffs five times in his 12 seasons. He's the only coach in NFL history to take two teams with a losing record to the postseason as a division, as a division champion. Um, and I think he would tell you the 15-1 and one in 12-4 and four seasons – I, I did an okay job. Seven, eight, and one in making the postseason, and then the seven and nine, 20 and 2020 season, which started with all that turmoil, and we were one and five, and we came back with Alex Smith, Kyle Allen, you know, and then Taylor Heineke, we had to play in a playoff game, is probably one of the best coaching jobs I've ever done. And we finished that year seven and nine. That's all I'm saying is that coaches, I think if you talk to coaches, they would be surprised at Ron Rivera's three winning seasons in his 12th. They would say, really? That doesn't seem right. He's a better coach than that. That's all I'm saying. And I think he's done it. All I'm I'm saying is it's really rare to find somebody that's only won three times in 12 years that's still a head coach. It's actually actually three. It's now – it's now um, nine losing seasons in 13 because he went 500 this year. I think that's what it is. Yeah. Something like yeah. that. Is that what it is? I don't know what it is now. Here, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, 12. nine, ten, eleven. All right, 12 seasons, and he's had a nine losing losing record. One, losing. two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. eight. So he's, had, he's had eight losing seasons out of 12. And in two of those eight seasons that he didn't have a winning record, he did go to the postseason. That's also amazing. And won a game and almost won two games in 2014. 
which was the year before 15 and one. And all of the seasons that he that he had a losing season in Carolina, his best player, his quarterback, was banged up and and missed games. But whatever, I, I've done this before. It's boring to everybody. Yeah, whatever. What else? Um, he's gonna he's gonna be he's gonna be there next year. Would be my guess. I think that's my guess. He'll be in Washington next year. That's my guess too. I think if it were a normal situation, I don't know. Although at this point, if Dan continued to own the team, Dan doesn't want to pay coaches that aren't coaching for him anymore. You know, we've seen that before. All right. uh, Thanks for doing this. I appreciate it. Um, Will you join me later in the week to preview the playoff games? Yeah. Did you? Are you going to watch the national championship game tonight? Sure am. Okay. Uh, Stanford. I like Steve. watching. I like. I like watching the bowl, especially the the playoff the playoff scenario. It's, they get a lot of time to put stuff together. It's a lot of fun. You get to see a lot of fun stuff as far as scheme stuff and and what teams are doing. Stanford Steve is there, uh, as you know. You you know Stanford Steve well. Um, Stanford Steve of the Scott Van Pelt Show. He's there We're doing a lot of stuff for ESPN. And I'm going to finish up today's show with a conversation previewing the championship game tonight. That's next, right after these words from a few of our sponsors. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. National championship game tonight out in Los Angeles at SoFi Stadium. Uh, Cinderella, TCU, and, of course, Georgia looking to go back-to-back. My good friend Stanford Steve from the Scott Van Pelt Show uh, is jumping on with us right now. You can follow Steve on Twitter at StanfordSteve82, and we'll talk about what he'll be involved in tonight for ESPN um, because they'll probably have, like, 15 different telecasts of the game. But I want to start with this. You were at the Peach Bowl uh, for Georgia-Ohio State, 42-41. to You obviously watched earlier that day, TCU 51-45 to over Michigan. Two incredible games back-to-back. I know who's playing in the game tonight, and I know both of these teams won their semifinal games, but you were there for Georgia-Ohio State on the field, and you watched and you know a lot about Michigan and TCU. Did we get the two best teams in the country in the national championship game? Uh, I think TCU was the better team. 
I'm not sure if Georgia was the better team that night, Kevin. Being being on that field and, you know, everybody talks about, you know, the Blue Bloods or the big brand names. Like, it was Georgia. It was Ohio State. It was, it was, it was as big as it could get. And the momentum swings that were given and haymakers that were thrown in that game were just incredible. And, and, and only Ohio State could bring the fan base that they have to Atlanta and, you know, and, and match up against Georgia as far as, you know, numbers and crowd noise and stuff like that. But then to see C.J. Stroud come out and do what he did, I still can't. It's a week later. I can't believe he was the losing quarterback in that football game. I thought the world of what Ohio State did as far as a game plan, what they put on the table, and they just didn't have enough other guys at the end to finish the deal. And, and you know, you saw that uh, on the last drive with, with Stroud ended up getting the run and then trying to get extra yards and just not having the guy that they trusted to separate. That ends up being the difference in the game. But I, I, I you know, the plenty of talk, you know, you have had, on your shows about Ohio State quarterbacks going to the next level, I, I just can't talk, uh, you know, highly enough about C.J. Stroud and what he did against that Georgia team. I thought that was by far and away the most impressive performance of his very young career, and he's going to be in the draft, obviously, at the end of April. Um, yeah. And most people think it, it will be Bryce Young. I'll, I'll ask you about that in a moment. But that was the best night because I really thought, you know, when they got into trouble – um, in Columbus against Michigan, he actually got tight in that game. Do you agree yep. with me or not? Yep. No doubt. And, and and I will say this. The way I saw Ohio State's schedule was very beneficial. I thought Georgia's schedule was very beneficial. When you look at Georgia's right. schedule, they, they come out with a banger, you know, against Oregon. Then there's a lull. They get up for South Carolina. There's a lull. They get up for, you know, Tennessee. And then they, they run the table after that. When you look at Ohio State, it's just, they, they weren't tested. They had Notre Dame, but then you could see going back and watching the tape too, Notre Dame, or Ohio State and Ryan Day, they knew Notre Dame wasn't going to score. That, that was a totally different concept. But yeah, they were down, but when they got the lead, they ran the ball and they just didn't, they, they, they were, did not fear. Notre Dame's offense. It was also early. It was also early, and we never see the best in the openers. No doubt. No doubt. And when you get to the Penn State game, you know, they face some adversity, but their defense, you know, Penn State's right tackle gets out, gets hurt, and, you know, JT goes crazy off the edge and and doing what he does and one of the best defensive performances there was of the year. But when you got to the Michigan game, you know, I'm watching – I went to the Maryland game, and, and, you know, in College Park, and I'm watching Ohio State's offensive line, and they weren't impressive. They, they didn't move people off the ball. I thought their running back did a great job of, of, you know, with his vision and making plays in that second half. But they were not impressive as a unit seeing in person, and that's what made me really wonder about when they got to Michigan. So then they go to Michigan. What happens? You mentioned Stroud looked tight. He was tight because for the first time all year, he had guys in his face. You know, they, they, they did not do a good job in pass protection. And Michigan did a great job with the two fourth downs in the first half of just getting off the field and, 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 and getting their offense on the field. And in the second half, they started dialing some things up. They got the lead. And that's where we saw Stroud look like he never has in his Ohio State career. And then come back 35 days later and do what he did against Georgia. I think, 
I just think a lot of credit to, should go to him and Ryan Day. I mean, their game plan was tremendous. None, none of their top two running backs. Uh, they lose Harrison in game, and they still get that close to doing it. It's. I was on the field for the for the Chase Young. Uh, Ohio State um, Clemson Fiesta Bowl, right. which is one of the best games I've ever been on the field, and then to see that happen and the way it transpired, um, I, I, it's just it's unfortunate for Ohio State. You're right there, two monumental games, and, and Ryan Day, uh, you know, doesn't get the wins. But I don't look down on him as other people just want to bash him for you know supposedly not winning the big one anymore. Uh, I'm not in that camp. All right, I want to get back to the game here in a moment, but now that we're on C.J. Stroud, and by the way, you mentioned that game. That was really the game for me that solidified in my mind that Justin Fields was worth taking a shot on. Like I was thinking of it from the Washington standpoint. That was his revenge game from the year before, and he came up so big in that semifinal against Clemson. And, you know, it turns out, you know, it looks like Justin Fields was a pretty good trade-up and selection by Chicago. It's early, but that was the game. So I would ask you, uh, you know, was this C.J. Stroud's game where NFL scouts will look at it and say maybe it is him over Bryce Young? I think so. Now, it's really, really hard. Everybody wants to compare people, right, Kevin? Like, it's just, hey, who does this guy remind you of? Who does this guy? I look at Bryce Young and I love every single thing about him. His decision making, his accuracy, I don't think it's talked enough about for what he does, whether it's on the run or just putting the ball wherever it needs to be. But he's really, really slight, man. Like, there, there's not a lot of girth in his legs. And when you look at these guys at the next level, just look what happens. Like, Kyler Murray is a w- very well-put-together athlete. You know, he's got, a, he's got a big trunk. His legs are big. He keeps getting dinged up. You know, you, you just look at the Justin Fields. He couldn't get through it, you know, this season. Uh, and, and when I think about Bryce Young, I, that's that's the kicker to me is will you have him for a whole season? And the way the league is, big guys beat up little guys. It's been that way forever, and it's not changing. And that's that's the because the way what makes Bryce so good is his ability to let things play out and hold on to the ball to the last second and, and get that ball in a window where it wasn't available, you know, a half a second earlier. So when I look at Stroud, I just I just saw the you know obviously everybody's going to talk about you know how comfortable guys are in the pocket. Everybody could throw the ball well when the pocket is there. But what Stroud showed me uh, against Georgia, I thought was pretty eye opening. Uh, there was there was some just some guts with throws uh, and and the ability and the wherewithal to to run the ball when he had to in in the in the in the moment. That, that's the thing. I mean, you talk about that game. I talked about the momentum swings. Like what Georgia did, we'll talk about that. But Ohio State, to, to have to keep answering and knowing he's got, you know, Stover to tight end, that doesn't get talked about. He's the whole key yeah, to Ohio State's run him. game. Yep. They, 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 lo- they lose him, and they put the Rossi kid in, who at the end, he's, a, he's an H-back, fullback, tight end, and he's that running back on the last, I think it's four drives of the game, just as a, as a personal protector. Like wherever the blitzer comes, you go throw yourself at that blitzer and keep CJ upright. And uh, the way they figured that out and, and to get that close, yes, I, I, it, I was wondering about Stroud, um, and, and I'm, I'm a believer after seeing I mean, not many guys could do what he did in that moment with what's at stake. He was, he was absolutely tremendous. 
So, um, you know, if you look at the draft order right now, Washington, um, well, well, let me just ask ask you simply. If you had the first overall pick in the draft and you needed a quarterback right now, you've got to make the pick as a Mm. GM, Stroud or Young. (laughs) Man, that's – it's – I think it's Young. I really do. Uh, now you told me I last just, year in the championship game. I remember I talked to you like the next day or the day after, yep. and you said, "Good God, is Bryce Young small?" And you just said it earlier, like yeah. you said he is like five ten. I mean, but yep. does it matter? Oh, I, that that's pushing it. <laughs> <You're> so <laughs> that's ma- pushing it. All right, it's that close. Yeah, so it's between five nine and five ten. I would say so. Yes. Yeah. Um, so you got to pick somebody. Pick somebody now. I, I, I would take I would take um, Bryce Young. Okay. I, I just the, the the total package. I would too. Um, and and like I, I I keep saying the wherewithal. He's both guys. I think don't get credit for the way they process things. And everybody can say what they want about Ryan Day's system and, and this and that. But when you go back and watch it, it it's not a you know, hey, get the ball and throw here based on what you see in coverage. It's it's not that. It's it's way more advanced. But what Bryce has done, and then to see him be able to do it. You know, what, go back to 19. Tua and Joe Burrow had an advantage every single time they stepped on the field because they had elite playmakers, yeah. you know? And then you see Bryce this year with not elite playmakers and still be effect, be as effective as he is. That showed me a lot, but I think he knows it too. He knows, you know, the injury. He didn't have to take uh, that hit against Arkansas, which you know altered their season. But um, yeah, I, I think I, by the slightest of margins, I think it's I think it's Bryce Young. All right, one thing more on t- on Ohio State and Georgia. I mean, you know, yep. I liked Ohio State. The number seemed everybody was on Georgia, so I was on Ohio State plus yeah. the number. But the thing that I said about uh, before the game was I just am so concerned about them defensively. And I think – I know you love Ryan Day and I love you – that you love what they are offensively and have been offensively under mm-hmm. Ryan Day. But I think what their Achilles mm-hmm. heel has been for a couple of years running, look at what Maryland did against them, is they can't yep. stop anybody. No doubt. And they gave up 500 no. and whatever yards and 42 points against Georgia as well. It's, it's a combination of things too, Kevin. You know, you look at what they have. You know, the kid 33, Jack Sawyer, he was the top recruit in the country at that position, defensive lineman. And being at media days, you just got a sense of, you know, players talking about it. Like, they wanted to see more. Like, almost take the governor off. You know, just let it all out. And I feel like that's the case with a lot of their guys. They have top-rated prospects come to the program. And heat of the moment, kid falls down. Georgia, what is it, 73-yard touchdown pass. That, that can't happen in those spots. And then when you look at the physicality, you know, game on the line, they couldn't stop Georgia. And that, you're right, that, that has been the kicker or, or the, you know, the ultimate you know, deciding factor in, in why they've lost these games. They can't get stops when they need to. And it, it's kind of mind-boggling because you look at it, all right, top-rated linebacker, defensive end, defensive back, safeties, they have it all. They just can't put it together, and it really shows up in in the biggest spots, and that's what burned them. All right. Um, 
Before we, uh, we're talking to Stanford, Steve, before we get to tonight and just your preview and your pick, what did you think of TCU Michigan? I mean, I, I you, you know, I had a rooting interest in that game, but, and I know, and I know you picked TCU. I mean, you had them plus the points, and it yeah. was a, it was a big pick for you, and you liked them a lot of the year. What did you make of that game? I mean, it's yeah. we're a week and a half, you know, just over a week since it, since, since, uh, since that game, but what were your impressions of that one? Well, all month, you know, leading up to that game, I'm just watching. And, you know, the story of TCU, right, started slow in games and then, you know, came back in second half. And Michigan sort of did the same thing but in a different way where they just wear it on you in, in, with physicality. And I said all, all month leading up to that game, the first half was absolutely enormous for TCU's defense. They had to prove that they could hang in there. And then first play of the game, 59 yards, right. Osman Edwards. And it does, and it doesn't look great from the start. But Michigan gets cute. They run the Philly special inside the five. We know about the touchdown call that should have been a touchdown. But TCU gets a pick six. You know they get some big plays and stops and hold. You know hold Michigan to a couple field goals. That that was absolutely uh, just enormous for them because the way TCU goes about they in their offense they have answers for everything. They just, there's a feeling out period, you know, whether they go with formation, whether they go with personnel or whether or else, you know, Duggan wants to try his own read against different guys that it takes a little bit of time for them and what their defense did in keeping them in that game. And ultimately having was a two, or was it 14, six and a half or whatever no, no, it was. 21, 21 to half. six at half. It was 21, 21 to six. six. Yeah. 21, six. And, and, and to be able to do that, now you get Michigan totally out of their game plan where I thought Michigan would just come in against that 3-3-5 three, three, uh, yep. and just Run ball it. them. Yep. You know, whether it's inside zone or, you know, just running duo up the middle. You know, first play of the game, I mentioned it. They run ISO first play. We don't really see that again. And I really thought uh, Michigan's injury, Schoonmaker to tight end 86, he gets hurt in the first half. They really, really struggled on the edge, and that's that's the whole basis of the three-three-five. Is you have edge guys, you have guys that have speed. Um, you, you create matchups out on the perimeter where they can rush, they can hang back, and it really you know confuses the quarterback. And TCU all played all that. To, I mean, they deserve it all, but that that played right in their hands, having a lead at halftime, and then being able to do things and, and hanging on at the end, uh, knowing they had a couple tricks up their sleeve on the offensive side. Um, but the first half was huge, and I think it's even more important uh, come uh, tonight in, in Los Angeles. I really do. Their their defense has to show up in the first half. I mean, you, you've mentioned about four tight ends already here in our conversation. For those of you that don't know, Steve was a five-star tight end prospect and the Connecticut Player of the Year when he went to Stanford. Um, all right, so... How does TCU pull off what would be the uh, one of the biggest shockers of all time? I mean, it's 12 and a half, 13, wherever you're getting your number. Yep. How do they pull it off, or, or can they? It starts, it starts with Duggan, Kevin. There's, there's no doubt in my mind uh, he knows he has to play better. And when you go back and watch the Michigan game, they went at him. They, they went at that Michigan secondary, and he was not accurate. He was overthrowing deep balls. He threw a couple deep balls out of bounds. And that's why I talk about they have answers in their offense, and a lot of that is taking shots early to get coverage where they want it or coverage to back out of it. And then that helps them 
in, in, the, in the run game because you look at what they did. I think they ran for 263 yards. That's incredible against Michigan. And the way they did it was to back guys out of the box and then Max is able to read whether they want to read defensive yep. end or they want to read the outside linebacker. And the running backs did a great job. They, that's the one thing about this. They do a great job of getting north and south immediately. And Max does it too. But when I think about this matchup and the, and the injury to Kendra Miller, they really, really need him. You can't, oh, yeah. Now, if you have Miller and you have Mercado and you have Max, now you got three different dynamics you could go at. But if they don't have Miller, I don't know if Mercado's a guy that can, can withstand a game against Georgia knowing he's going to get, you know, say 20, 25 carries. Because you look at what he does. I mean, the first play he comes in, they give up the sack, they show the camera, he runs right over to Kendra Miller. He doesn't know what to do in the pass protection. He had no idea what to do, and he's the one that gives up that sack. So they got to be way more tightened up. If they could get anything out of Miller, it's a huge plus. And now, you know, seeing Media Day a couple days ago, he's saying he's 50-50. That that doesn't bode well for me and TCU because you need – all your weapons at hand. Kendra, uh, Kendra Miller is an NFL back. Um, he's going to he's going to play uh-huh. at the he's going to play at the next level. And if they're if they're without him, look, they got through basically half the game without him because Demarco played yep. really really well and Duggan played well as a runner as well. I thought really yep. some of the biggest plays of the game were against the zero blitz where Duggan strung it yep. out and, and on that big one found you know Johnston for the touchdown. Did it a couple of times, mm-hmm. but um. So, you're, you're, I mean, I don't give them much of a shot, even though I want you to speak to this real quickly. I think most people look at TCU and think little TCU. They got a lot of NFL players on their team, don't they? Oh, say, absolutely. I mean, just look at the difference makers they have on the defensive Speed. side of the ball. They're back end. They're, yeah, and, and they're not afraid. They, they, are, they have great instincts. You saw that a bunch in the in the Michigan run game, where I, I, I'm still trying to go back and watch the tape. I mean, they have linebackers triggering from five yards deep, where they see you know a, a mesh point with the quarterback and running back, and those guys are firing. And and it's it's the Winters kid I thought did a great job because he's the guy they're going to move around and try and I don't know if he's their best pass rusher. He led the team in sacks, but man, does he have great ball skills. And, and just just wherewithal, man. Like, he knows exactly what the offense wants to do. And that's the idea. I think Georgia does a great job of moving formations, mixing up personnel. And I think, I, you're going to laugh, I think the Washington injury is huge for Georgia. Because when you put another kid the size of him, and that's what causes so many problems against Georgia's offense, is he's, he's basically another tackle. And look what Georgia did. They had really a lot of trouble getting pressure from the outside because Ohio State's tackles are so big. So I think Georgia, with that size, uh, you know, on the perimeter, that's where they cause it. And now they go misdirection off of that. And then, sure enough, you get a little eye candy in the backfield. Now you thought those guys were coming across the formation. Now Bowers is running vertical, and you're like, all right, who the hell is supposed to guard him? You know, so there's a lot of (laughs) eye candy. But I think the Washington – the Washington injury yeah. is huge because they need him to make them balance, and they do everything off, you know, 12 personnel, one back, two tight ends. It, it's enormous for Georgia to 
to have some consistency offense if they have him on the field. God, it was funny because for a while it was like, where's Bowers in this game? And and you, no you were worried they couldn't do it without him. All right, two more and I'll let you run. Number one is this. Um, you and I talked about Georgia multiple times during the season, and you've already mentioned it. Like, who mm-hmm. going into that Tennessee game, it's like, who did they beat? I mean, you know, the Oregon yeah. game was the opener, and, you know, they, they kind of fell asleep a little bit and barely beat Missouri. I think it was Missouri. Um, mm-hmm. There was a MAC team that scored a bunch of points against them, and then against Tennessee, Kent they, yep. yeah, Kent State. They mauled Tennessee. Like, that score was not indicative of how one-sided it was. And then, you know, you even look at the Kentucky game was ugly. The Georgia Tech game for a while was ugly. So which Georgia team are we going to get, and what's your your prediction on the game? That's where you got to go when you look at this, is is what is Georgia. And I think they really don't want to be put in the predicament they were last game against Ohio State. I mean, they got jumped from the start and like I said it's still a credit to what Ohio State game plan was but I think they they have to come out and be the aggressor you know Kirby always talks about you know we're the hunted we want to be the hunter no matter you know if we're undefeated the whole nine but I, I do think PCU is up against it here because of the constant pressure and how deep the roster is everybody knows about the recruiting Georgia has done and you saw that be the end-all factor and having more guys at the end against Ohio State. So I look at Georgia as finding a lot of – finding out a lot about themselves, knowing the situation. Everyone – Kevin, go back to that game. Everybody talks about, oh, if Kirby Smart didn't call the timeout on the fake punt. Right. The biggest play of the game yeah. is the review on Bowers right. getting the first down. I, I know they only got three points off that drive. But they needed those three. Yep. And if he doesn't get that, I, I still don't know how he did it. Well, I think Cole, he I, I keeps think, himself in bounds. I think at 38-35, getting the stop and holding Ohio State to the field goal was the crucial spot in the game because Ohio mm-hmm. State had every, yeah. uh, every the way they were moving it they hadn't really been stopped that much the fact that they got held to a field goal rather than extending that you know with two and a half or three minutes to go to a 10 point lead was huge yeah but I mean also too I think Georgia's season's over if, if Bowers doesn't get that first down yeah they that's fourth down right. Ohio State gets the ball yep. and it's still two possessions yeah you know like that that that's the one thing so I think they come. I think Bowers is going to be huge off the get. I think they're going to want to get him loose. Um, you know, hearing Jimmy Knowles talk about facing uh, all, Georgia's offense, he called it Wheel City. And you know, there's wheel there's wheel routes coming from every single guy yeah. on the field, no matter where they are on the field. So I think Georgia's got a couple more things lined up. And I'm also curious if Georgia. I talked to a bunch of you know offensive and defensive guys about this three three five concept. And what you want to do is try and spread it sideline to sideline. And I wonder, knowing Georgia has multiple running backs, if they go with like a a little 20 personnel and put two backs in the backfield and then use Bowers as that slot receiver where he could go back and forth across the formation, I think that is something to look at uh, that Georgia hasn't shown a lot about. And with Washington not knowing his status, I think that could be something that uh, gets Bowers loose early in this game. All right, your final score prediction is what? Oh, uh, man, I, the first half, God, it's so – now what is it? First half line is seven now. I think TCU is getting seven. So um, it, uh, it'll it be interesting. I, I think I know all the money. 
and everything is on TCU. I think I saw a three to one yeah. uh, ticket count. Yeah. Uh, you know, earlier, I, I, blindly, I, I still go with it. I still think they have the goods to take it. I'm going to say Georgia thirty-one. 23. All right, so you got TCU. But I'll take TCU on the plus. Plus the number. What's your, what are you going to be on tonight? Where, where can we watch you tonight? Oh, man. I'm going to be – we got College Football Live starting at 1 o'clock Eastern. Then we go championship – I mean, coverage starts at 1 o'clock Eastern all the way up. And I'm still trying to get used to this time change out here because everything – you know, the, the schedules and everything. But we got College Football Live at 1 o'clock Eastern. Then we do championship drive. Then we got college game day leading right into the game. So – uh, are I'll you going to be, gonna be doing all that stuff? Are you going to doing? Are you doing the same thing you did with McAfee for the last one or not? No, no. I w- I'll be in the truck uh, for this game. Okay, uh, helping out with the broadcast. Okay. Uh, so I'll be on all the pregame stuff, and then uh, I'll be in. I'll be in the truck uh, helping the broadcast. Be as good as we can be. All right. Enjoy it. I'll see you when you get home. Thanks. I appreciate you, man. Stanford Steve, everybody at Stanford Steve eighty two on Twitter. Um, I'm excited about tonight's game. Uh, I like Georgia to win the game. No smell test selection on the game. I thought about giving out Georgia. I know a lot of you have reached out to me to say Georgia Sheehan, right? I mean, all of the actions on TCU. That's true. There's also some very sharp action on TCU. At least there was at the end of last week. The line I see, it's climbing back up to 13, 13 and a half. It was down to 12 and a half. Um, The total uh, right now at 63, 62 and a half. A lot of overaction on that. So I kind of like the under in this game, but I don't have an official smell test pick. I was 0-1 basically on my smell test picks because I gave, I gave out the Browns, which did not get it done. And then I gave out Detroit, but only if Detroit was playing Green Bay for a playoff spot. That was my if bet uh, on Friday. So I did not get the benefit of Detroit covering. Um, so 0-1 uh, with nothing tonight. My prediction on the game um, I'll go uh, I'll go 37-24 Georgia. All right, it'll put it right on the number um, and it'll put it just barely under the total. All right, 37 to 24 Georgia. And I think what should be another entertaining game. I'm hoping it will be. I'll be rooting for um, TCU, uh, a place that I spent a lot of money on for four years of tuition for my oldest son. He will be at the game uh, tonight in Los Angeles. That's also where he lives. By the way, one last quick thing. Big win for Maryland basketball yesterday against 24th-ranked Ohio State. Um, loved the bounce back. They were favored in the game. Now, if I were giving out college basketball uh, wagers, I would have given Maryland out yesterday. The public was pounding Ohio State. Turfs had really looked bad in their last three Power Five uh, games, um, and they came up big yesterday uh, against Ohio State in College Park, beating uh, the Buckeyes eighty to seventy-three. Uh, man, Jameer Young, thirty points and eleven rebounds for your starting point guard. No assists. Um, They had five guys in double figures. 
Man, Juju Reese is frustrating. I know he is, guys, all right? Uh, he's got some skill. He's got some talent. But there's really a lot of immaturity. He got teed up in that game. It turned the whole game around there late. Got Ohio State back into the game when Maryland was up 14. Um, he's got to learn to control his emotions. I mean, I think that's the third or fourth time I've seen him in his two years or just his year and a half year get teed up for something very similar. Uh, I could be uh, I could be exaggerating that. I know it's happened before at least once. He just does not seem to understand that you can't score on a guy six inches shorter than you and start woofing after the bucket. They're going to call you for that. Um, he's gotta he's gotta mature a little bit. Um, he's gotta get a little bit tougher. He's got some skill. He's got some talent, and that's all they have size wise. Um, but that was a good win for Kevin Willard's team. Man, when they can run, when they can get up tempo, um, when they can get you into a more frenetic kind of paced game, uh, it it suits their style. When it's grinded out, it can be really, really tough for them, especially um, if they're not careful with the basketball and they don't shoot it well. They shot it much better yesterday. They were, I think, 46.5% from the field. They were... You know, made five threes. I mean, it's actually, you know, not that bad. And they didn't turn it over nearly as much as they had. And they rebounded well yesterday. Their guards rebounded exceptionally well. Good win for the Terps. They actually don't have another game until, I think, Sunday at Iowa. Um, but um, they needed that one in the Big Ten. They would have fallen to one and four in the Big Ten and said they're two and three in what is a crazy wide open Big Ten. Georgetown had a halftime lead in a Big East game over Marquette and then got outscored Saturday 61 to 37 in the second half. Uh, the Caps won over Columbus. Um, they continue to roll. I mean, the Caps right now sitting there, you know, in third place by themselves now in the Metropolitan. They've really done a phenomenal job. But the one nothing win over Columbus um, was a big one. Uh, and the Wizards played Friday night, lost, uh, got blown out at um, OKC. Uh, not a good game for them. So that's two losses in a row. I got to tell you, and I mentioned this, I mentioned this when they played Oklahoma City the first time. Um, Shea Gilgis Alexander's turned into an absolute superstar. Uh, 30 points a game he's averaging. He is really, really sensational. All right, that's it for the show today. Be back tomorrow with Tommy. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows granger has got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.